As more and more businesses, governments, and individuals use blockchain, it's essential that we're prepared to scale all aspects of this technology. That's why we've got Jack O'Halloran, CEO of Scale Labs, joining us for today's show. Scale solving the blockchain scalability problem by facilitating processing between blockchains and dApps, helping the ecosystem run hundreds of millions of smart contracts and contractions, no, contracts, and transactions per second. That's a lot of contractions per second there. Dang, that is a lot. We're processing one podcast per podcast, making this clearly the most stable, unstable show in the industry. And the only scale we know is the one in the bathroom. Did somebody say bathroom? Corn. There you go. Everything comes back to corn as it should on episode number 546 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? Yep, Travis is so into corn, he is pleased to announce his latest website, Pornhub. Oh. Yeah, what? So, women having sex with corn? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious, the crypto serious, and for those with a sense of humor. If you're any of or all three of those categories, or or mix and match them as far as we're concerned, I think the most important thing is that you got a sense of humor, and uh, you're in the right place. Yeah, and you know it's done when it starts to popcorn. It's like pop, 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 pop. That's the end of the show. That's the end of it. <laughs> Cornhub.com. Hey, if you're an artist, illustrator, designer, or animator, check out any task. They're looking for you to join their new NFT category. You don't have to have technical knowledge. Your skills as an artist are exactly what the buyers on that platform are looking for. The website to check it out right now, badco.in forward slash any task just like it sounds. I'm not going to spell it out for you because if you can't spell it, then you probably shouldn't be on the web at all. Mm. I like, I like how they can, uh, they make an NFT and they get some ETN. It's pretty cool. It is. It's very cool. They get paid in a native cryptocurrency that spends because there's tons of liquidity for electronium. So badco.in forward slash any task. Now, Sirlor Travis, this was a super important interview, but you being in a different country were unable to uh, to join me for this so i had to fly solo yeah i uh, i actually had some internet issues and some time zone adjustment issues yeah you're a whole hour behind me (laughs) i had issues i I had issues and uh that's nothing new but what is new is this interview right here with jack o'halloran co-founder and ceo of scale labs For those of you listening to the show, it might feel like crypto and blockchain are so old, but it's not. We're just at the very beginning of this whole thing right now. And the people that are in the space are building the future of what will eventually become ubiquitous. But one of the big problems we're having right now is is scaling you know, with ridiculous gas fees and needing to develop layer two solutions in order to alleviate that problem, multiple blockchains needing interoperability, so many problems. And that's why we've invited Jack O'Halloran, the co-founder and CEO of Scale Labs to join us today. And Jack, welcome to Bad Crypto. 
Hey, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks flying, for having me on the show. I'm flying solo today because Travis is flying in the air. And so, right. uh, yeah. So it's only going to be half as bad as it usually oh, is. Half is, all right. I, I'm, I'm getting a, a, a short deal here. This is, yeah. I signed up for the full bad experience. Well, and there's not likely to be any corn jokes unless you've got good corn jokes. <laughs> those who listen to the show know what we're talking about but there you go i just threw in the uh, the bad (laughs) corn joke so before we get into the uh the the deep stuff here and by deep stuff i mean simple questions that i can understand um why don't you give us a little bit of your background yeah so i've been doing doing tech startups in silicon valley since 2005 um i started mobile uh i was with a company called good technology that was actually a mobile security company uh, I then started a digital currency. Well, that that company was acquired by Motorola. It was a, a big successful exit. And, and then I started a company called Incentaline. It was a digital currency platform in 2008 where you know, entities like NASA and big corporations could have these internal currencies that would help guide, uh, you know, guide uh, money flows and well, guide resources internally using money flows. So did that ended up, uh, ended up the company ended up turning into one of the biggest analytics companies in the world for the life science space. So, um, so uh, that company was called Octana. So my my background prior to crypto was all enterprise software and doing deep tech in terms of mobile cryptography and machine learning AI, um, but had been you know really uh, since 2011 a, a student of of blockchain until I got into the space fully in 2017. So that's really early, though, you know, to start learning about it. I remember hearing early on, uh, because I've always got my ear to the ground of the next technology. I typically get there early. And I was consumed with other matters in my life. And when somebody told me about Bitcoin, probably, I want to say 12, 2012-ish, I didn't understand it. And so I just kind of dismissed it. And that's just so unlike me. And I guess, you know, uh, I wasn't ready. So uh, yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people went through that. Probably a lot of people listening today at some point said, what is this? And I, I too, in 2011, didn't fully get it. It wasn't until 2013 that I was like, OK, I get it. But, um, you know, it, it initially sounded ludicrous to me that a bunch of computers talking together could create uh, constructs like money. And yet. They did. But it, why should it surprise us when, you know, we've seen digital money, right? PayPal's been around mm-hmm. for years. Yeah. We, we understand this concept of credit cards where you're not actually transacting with mm-hmm. cash. So why is it such a leap for so many people, you know, especially in the past to go from, okay, you're already transacting digitally to more secure digital. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, Right now, I think a lot of people are going through a similar thought process when it comes to NFTs. I'm like, why in the hell would anybody pay for this image? I could copy and paste the image and have it myself. And they're just in it, you know, and it many people dismissed it immediately and consistently they're reminded they're wrong. Right. Which I love. I love it. I love it because we know, right? We've seen this story play out before. And, you know, when they say that, I'm like, okay, have you been to the Louvre? A lot of people say, yes. Did you take a picture of the Mona Lisa? Well, of course. Do you now own the Mona Lisa? Um, Okay. I understand. Usually (laughs) usually that'll do it. You know, usually that'll get there. 
Yeah, and and we'll we'll have to jump into NFTs later, but it's um, yeah this this whole you know and then then you throw in Ethereum, and for me, I I didn't ever really conceive that I could work full time in crypto at all. I I thought it was just a money thing, and then because you were a Chippendales dancer, right? That's how you yeah, made your money. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's you know I was all about paper money and having that. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> Uh, but you know this this whole premise of smart contracts and computation taking place on a blockchain just blew my mind, and that's when I that's when I realized, wow, there's there's so much here. We're just scratching the surface, and even people today are like, oh, is it too late to get in? It's like it's not too late to get into the space in any capacity. Now, this isn't. I'm not talking about investing. I'm talking about just learning, getting involved, working, um, participating, right? And, and investing is an entirely different realm that I will not touch at all. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, what I'll tell everybody is this is we're in the early days. Yeah, very, very much so. And it reminds me of, you know, the beginning of the Internet and the beginning of the Web. Um, and everybody said, this isn't going to work. People aren't going to shop online. You know, they're, they're going to go to the library. They're going to read books that are physical. And of course, we know how that that all ended. So, you know, you've gone on to found a company today to uh, to bring about some solutions to some problems. And so uh, without sounding too much like a commercial, let's go ahead and just hit up on what is scale right now. Yeah, so so scale. I think one easy way. I'll I'll give you two ways to access what scales what scale is. So the scale network on one hand can make Ethereum run faster. Okay, can do that by adding more blockchains around Ethereum. Um, the other way to think about it is scale is actually if we need a world that can support billions of users, we need many many blockchains functioning that can all talk to each other. Scale is a blockchain network that doesn't run one blockchain. It runs many, many, many blockchains and actually a limitless number of those blockchains. And one thing it also does is it connects to the Ethereum network. And the Ethereum network actually helps support the scale network. There, there are these intertwined uh, entities and, and, cons- and decentralized, com- you know, uh, decentralized networks effectively. And what it can do is it can help bring incredibly high-speed transactions, NFTs, smart contracts, and just Web3 and DeFi to billions of people. Uh, explain to me in simple terms when you say multiple blockchains, you know, providing some sort of cushion around Ethereum, how, how does that work? Okay, so let's, I'm going to try to explain this in the most technically complicated way possible. Just, just kidding. No, or or pretend I'm a fifth grader. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I I say that because I'm going to try to explain it as if fifth, you know, in the simplest way possible, intentionally using words that are, you know, not technical. Instead not of node, I'm going to say three computer. syllables is the maximum yeah. we'll have, and I need pretty, I need pictures with colored <laughs> markers or crayons. Yeah, and so so what what you can how you can think of a blockchain network? One, it many computers, okay, and a lot of people I think. Uh, don't understand the way blockchains work. It's really simple, actually. There are a lot of computers. They all run the same software. It's a, you know, a, a more complex term is to say it's a symmetrical database, but it's just a bunch that of computers. That is too many syllables. Better. Symmetrical doesn't work. I liked where <laughs> yeah. you were going, though. Okay. Go <laughs> we're going back. We're going back. So all these computers run the same software. The way Ethereum works and Bitcoin works, all the computers speak together mm-hmm. to have one kind of view of the world. Okay. 
What scale can do is all of these computers in the scale network can be assigned into smaller groups. And those smaller groups have a view of their world. And so the software is still identical across the computers, but these computers get put into smaller pods. So let's say there's a hundred computers and then there's, uh, then they can be broken into groups of 10. And then you have 10 groups of 10 that are much faster than one group of a hundred. Okay. And these groups of 10 can do specific jobs. Maybe one group of 10 is going to work for, you know, the world's largest uh, NFT company. Another one might be a DeFi collective where there's 20 or 50 DeFi projects all plugging into it. Another group of 10 might be, uh, you know, a Web3 social, decentralized social media product. Another one might be a decentralized search engine. And so what happens is you get, most blockchains also get slow because it's not 100 servers. There's 8,000 servers or 20,000 servers. These servers, again, are just computers that run the same software. And the more and more computers that are there, the more and more work it is to get them all aligned to say they all agree with each other. And so when you can make these groups smaller, then they can be faster and more and lighter weight. Essentially, there's less dependency. Like I could have a really tiny application and only need a little bit, but I'm being slowed down by all these other you know, other big, big applications that are chewing up the bandwidth. Okay. So how does this go towards uh, helping the gas problem? Yeah, good. So again, you know, let's, let's. You, you could finish that. You were about to say, yeah. that's an amazing question, Joel. I, I can't yeah. believe that you're not that bad. Is. You're amazing. That, that was a bad question as in a good one. Perfect. That was, that was, Yeah. <laughs> That was really bad. We're going to do that. Uh, so, so if you think about gas fees, what we'll do, let's use a non-technical example. Let's think about Uber or Lyft. Let's say you have a rideshare platform. Let's say there's a hundred drivers in the city of San Francisco, but there's a thousand people that want rides. <laughs> well, if there's only a hundred, you know, in the only way you're going to be able to transfer, determine who gets to go first is to have surge pricing. And everyone's tried to get a ride and like, dang, it's like three times as much as normal. And, and then th that's what you have to pay because this pricing surging. That's how gas fees work on Ethereum. There's only, you know, like a certain number of these drivers. There's only a certain capacity. If more people want access at the same time, you pay more by paying more gas. It's, it's a surge price model for a blockchain. That's, and so if you think about scale, scale all of a sudden says, hey, these hundred drivers that drive for Ethereum will we just added 50,000 more drivers and they're all driving around and, you know, you, you can still use Ethereum, but you're going to be, you know, handed off to one of these other rider or drivers. And, and that's, that's effectively how it works. It adds more computers around Ethereum that are identical. Let's say in order to be in this network, you had to have a certain type of car. It's the same type of car as Ethereum, exact same engine. Um, and so if you're a developer and you build something on Ethereum, guess what? It works immediately with scale. So we're adding more cars that help take that pressure off of the uh, supply demand equation. So how is that better than creating an, an L2 solution? You know, because we've got Matic and, and uh, GoChain and a number of others that are essentially side chains that make Ethereum work right. Yeah. It, so what it is, is each scale chain is the same as a Matic or a Polygon chain, right? It 
at the end of the day, the, it is an L2. It's, it's L2-ing, it's connecting, but it's not limited in the sense that it's one chain. And the other issue with L2 chain, like side chains, is if they have a fixed number of validators, if those validators just go rogue or stop working, the, the state can get stuck. If those validators are fixed, it's, it's a lot easier to get them to collude and, and uh, bribery and collusion attacks are more viable. Um, I think there's two validators on the uh, Polygon network could collude and take over the whole chain or pause the whole chain. Mm. With scale is you have this whole set of computers and at any given time, they're randomly randomly being assigned into these L2, if you want to call it that, side chains. But they're not side chain. They don't have the same security issues as side chains because there's this pooled component. There's this big group and they're randomly selecting certain ones to work on certain chains. And then those computers are being swapped in and out of the bigger, bigger pool. So is it, is it centralized to scale then, or is this a more decentralized system? It's far more decentralized. And actually the way that the nodes or the computers are selected, let's say you said, Hey, I'm starting a DeFi chain and you want to, you know, you need, let's say there's a thousand nodes on the scale network and you want to chain. Well, guess what? You actually have to go to Ethereum. You pay Ethereum, gap, and then Ethereum, there's these, these contracts on Ethereum. They randomly select the computers on the scale network to work, work for you to make sure that there's no you know, nefarious activities or collusion when even when it comes to assigning those computers to work for you. And then the Ethereum network will swap in and out different computers on the scale network to work for you. So you, uh, and the way, again, the way blockchains lose security is if on a Byzantine fault tolerant blockchain or a BFT blockchain, if two thirds of the computers decide to take the money, they just can take it, okay? In a BFT blockchain, in a, in a proof of work blockchain, like Nakamoto consensus, um, 51% of them can just decide to be bad and, and take, take money. And so, so the way we make sure that doesn't happen is that, Ethereum provides another layer, layer of decentralized orchestration or guidance to help guide the scale network. It's like the, uh, it's the brain <laughs> that runs the scale network. And one way to make sure that that brain, you know, that the network's decentralized is, is use an even greater, even more decentralized network like Ethereum to help guide the function of scale. So if you weren't building scale and you were surveying the L2 solutions that were out there, who do you think's doing it best? And by best, I mean, not just functionally, but also with security in mind. Well, what I'll tell you is, I, what I'll say is I think scale is doing it. We have next month and the month after, there's going to be so many projects leaving other, other L2s and going live on scale with this next upgrade. And so what else, and I'll, hey, I want to commend the people that are building and that are uh, helping take the load off Ethereum, but even these chains that exist are getting overloaded. I mean, Matic, uh, Polygon chain, you know, there's 45 minutes sometimes for a transaction and the prices are going up because it's one chain. And so what scale is providing is more decentralization, greater security, and you know, and a limitless growth. So if as scale gets overloaded, it actually costs more to rent a chain and then more people set up servers and it drives the cost down. It's like you always can add more cars in the rider example, in the rideshare example, as whereas other networks are, they're fixed. They have one, they have, if they add more cars. Well, guess what? It's still one blockchain scale can create, keep creating more and more blockchains and growing to meet demand. 
Okay, but I'm, uh, you didn't answer my question. I'm going to push on that question. If you weren't, if scale didn't exist, which is the best L2 solution? Well, I mean, these are all companies that I, I'd say are, uh, uh, you know, helping support the same mission, but also competitors. So I don't really want to say I love, I like any of them. <laughs> that's for see, that's, a, that's a good answer. Yeah, yeah. that's an answer there, at least. That's not, that's not dodging. Yeah, that's, that's my answer. I don't, I. <laughs> Final answer, locking it in. Okay. Yeah. And survey says, good answer. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you, you can tell me offline, you whisper it to me. <laughs> Gently, it'll be like pillow talk. So, Ethereum. A lot of people are speculating now that um, Ethereum is going to flip Bitcoin just because there's so much more utility for Ethereum than there is Bitcoin. Not saying it's a better store of value or a better coin, but you really can't do much with Bitcoin. There's just not many dApps built on it. Do you agree that we're going to see Ethereum uh, be market cap dominant? Yeah. What What I would say is I. So hey. First off, I think I'm guessing you're probably like this. I know a lot of other people are. There are a lot of people that love Bitcoin and Ethereum. And yeah. I actually think they completely fill different uh, parts of the market. And I I hold both and I and I root strongly for the success of both. But mm-hmm. they, they serve very different functions. And mm-hmm. do I think that the world of computation uh, can be bigger than the world of store of value? Yes. So I think <laughs> Ethereum can flip Bitcoin. The issue with Ethereum is that when the price goes up right now, and until we have a, you know, more layer two growth options, like as the next scale upgrade comes and all of these NFT projects and DeFi projects and Web3 projects launch, there's also some exciting stuff happening with rollups and other Ethereum scaling efforts. And, um, and all of us, all of the Ethereum scalers are, we're kind of punching each other, trying to beat each other, but in a nice way. And we know that the market growth is actually faster than what we can beat each other up. So we all kind of play nicely. <laughs> um, so I think all of, as that happens, that'll help take load off Ethereum. But in the interim, if Ethereum goes above 4,000, you know, a smart contract costs, you know, that costs 20 bucks, all of a sudden there's all this usage and greater uh, ETH costs more. Now that same contract costs $800 to execute. And then what happens is, the price of ETH goes back down because the usage goes down. Uh-huh. And there's a lot of people watching those usage metrics. And what we need is the quantity of transactions and the quantity of action happening around Ethereum to be even greater. And all the settlement will still take place on Ethereum. But these transactions on Ethereum, like, and I'll, I would also say Ethereum native chains. So scales, Ethereum native, polygons, Ethereum native, roll-up solutions are Ethereum native. And that's where you're actually bringing value back to Ethereum. There's a lot of blockchains that just run Ethereum virtual machine and they suck value out of Ethereum. They're parasitic. Sounds like you got some construction going yeah. on back there. Yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, sorry about that. Well, as I was saying, Ethereum virtual machine can be run on almost any blockchain. And so these other blockchains are actually pulling value out of Ethereum and not giving any value back. Whereas on scale, all the staking and slashing and payments for chains and happens on Ethereum. So you actually have to pay Ethereum every time you pay scale. The same thing's true with rollups. The same thing's true with uh, Polygon as a similar structure to scale. And so with, with those scaling solutions, they actually keep funneling value back to ETH and their value accretive to ETH. And so it's also uh, when people look at you know the 
offloading of transactions of Ethereum, if it's literally just you know people connecting to a, a separate and a blockchain entity and it's sucking value out, it's actually not going to make Ethereum more valuable and it would go against the flipping uh, belief. But I personally believe that the Ethereum native chains will be so successful because ETH developers recognize this. They believe in Ethereum. They want to stay within the Ethereum family. And you'll see the, the cost per transaction go down dramatically and the ETH native kind of family of transactions and value back to Ethereum and kind of decentralized revenue capture continue to grow. And, and hey, whether or not it flips Bitcoin, you know, I, I don't like to project on price, but I will say I think the market size is larger for decentralized compute than it is uh, store value. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I just don't understand the maximalists. Uh, there's so many things that Bitcoin doesn't do. And it just, it makes no sense to me just from a common sense perspective. And we're talking about people that I respect their intelligence. And I'm like, I'm looking at this and going, yeah, but guys, this doesn't do what that does. And it probably never will. So how are we going to do that thing? So whatever. It's kind of like arguing with somebody who's really smart, but then they like start talking about uh, about like a religious viewpoint and you're like, well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about some facts. And that's how it's like a religious element of blockchain where it's like, let's just drop the religion and say, we love Bitcoin. We love Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Let's just look at them logically as market segments. Here's a market segment. Here's another market segment. How big is the segment? Does one actually take away from the other? No. Actually, the success of Bitcoin drives more success to Ethereum and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And I've always been of that mindset. I mean, I remember I was playing with the earliest PCs and the earliest Apple computers. And to this day, I own both. My main computer in my studio right now is a high-end PC. And, and I use it for recording and I use it for gaming because you can't, you can't get a killer gaming Macintosh. And I use my, my, uh, my MacBook, you know, and I've got an iPhone and these people that are tribal iPhones, better than Android, Android is better. You know what? How about both? Yeah. And, and the other thing is there's, there's an even like finer orthogonal cut here where if you're looking at Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's like comparing, uh, less so like Apple and PC. It's more about like, you know, that's, that's a good, like religious parallel, but there's another cut of just functionality. It's like, should we compare salesforce.com that does CRM and Oracle mm-hmm. that's, you know, and doing ERP and database? Actually, right. no, they're both, even though, yeah, Oracle has some CRM properties and marketing automation, but, you know, most of their business is coming from the other side of the house and they're both, mm-hmm. you can hold both stocks and both companies can be really successful. They do different things. No, you can't. You can't, man. It's, it's in in and out burgers or five guys. That's it. Yeah. It's, you got to have one or the other. You can't have them both. Oh, I'm like, from California. What's your favorite? You know, it, you know, it's like comparing beer and a hamburger. Okay, mm. like one food, the other one is is liquid. Like, why should we argue which one we like better? Fair enough. And by the way, I had to go and look up the word orthogonal, intersecting or lying at right angles. Uh, is uh, the definition for those of you that also needed your word of the day. So, so good use of that right there. So let, let's wrap up talking about NFTs because it's one of the things we started with and we're talking about gas fees. Uh, Travis and I are huge fans of the Wax blockchain, though we are blockchain agnostic overall because we've minted over a million NFTs and never paid a gas fee. The RAM that we've paid to mint those NFTs is minimal compared to you know, what anybody would pay in gas fees, yet it's undeniable 
that Ethereum is winning the NFT game overall right now. And I think that's because they were the first and, uh, you know, it's the first mover advantage and it's what people know. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And the thing is, Ethereum is winning because of the ecosystem. And I think you, you, know, you can look at uh, projects like Wax, and I think they're having a lot of success doing direct selling into all these different entities that are launching NFTs. But Ethereum is doing really well because guess what? Rarible, OpenSea, MetaMask, mm-hmm. um, Wire, uh, uh, Fortmatic, Portis, Bitsky, um, all of these different wallet solutions and NFT marketplaces are all on the Ethereum rails. And it's just such a massive advantage being in those rails. And so, you know, we look at scale. One of the things we're excited about is you can mint NFTs, but you can actually store them on chain. Mm-hmm. Most NFTs are a, uh, a smart contract that points to something somewhere else. And it's right, like- IPFS. Yeah, and it goes IPFS. And then a lot of the links on IPFS are uh, tied back to a URI that has a, you know, on Amazon where an image is being stored. And it's like, oh, I own the Mona Lisa as long as, you know, Bob in Ohio keeps paying his server bill to keep my Mona Lisa image up and he doesn't switch it with, um, you know, it doesn't rickroll me. Uh, and so if you look at um, our weave has been really successful because our weave is that you're able to store NFTs right on the chain. Scale has the same functionality because it's a containerized blockchain. And so you can mint NFTs for zero cost. The NFTs live directly on chain and, um, and it's in the Ethereum ecosystem and rails. And by the way, I'm, I'm also, I, I appreciate all the work uh, the WAX team's doing. And I think, you know, they, uh, NFTs are such a massive market. I spend about half my time on NFTs right now. And every major brand, every business, every sports team is building an NFT strategy. We are just seeing the beginning. Yep. No, I, I know because we, we regularly receive emails and calls and DMs from people saying, can you help us? And it's to the point for me where I'm going, I don't know if I can because there's only one of me and, and I can't clone myself. Uh, whereas you're spending 50% of your time on NFTs, I'm about 95%. Yeah, I am, I am eyeballs wild. deep in them. And, uh, but I'm also a customer, you know, uh, yeah. we build what we like to collect and I go out there and I collect things too. I build my own NFT library and I, I flip some and I hodl some and it's just, it's so fun. Wait. So, hey, I've got a funny story for you. Yeah, tell me a funny story. <laughs> so I was talking to this guy the other day and a real serious crypto investor. I'm not going to tell you who he is. He's you know, venture capital uh, uh, person, very, very serious into deep tech. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing all these breathing exercises. I'm just trying to stay calm and, and get calm. I was like, well, what's going on? He's like, he's like, well, I'm staying up all night trading NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, but I'm doing these breathing exercises now. I'm really meditating. I'm like, that's great, man. He's like, and, but you know what? This is somebody who prior was trading all of these, uh, you know, blockchain protocols and DeFi assets and now like moving into this NFT world. So it's just the kind of zeitgeist of where NFTs are. I think NFTs too are, this is just one, this is like an early chapter. In the future is the, it's the Mona Lisa that then gets you access to certain events or discounts on certain merchandise or 
you know, ability to purchase something before someone else. So the NFT story right now is really about just a static image that that is speculative in value that I think is really going to grow to being have to have functional use. So that's I'm I'm excited to see the next chapters unfold. And again, uh, we're just at the beginning of this this one as well. And we're at the end of the interview. So, Jack, thanks awesome. for coming. Scale.network is the website where you guys can check out an elastic blockchain network. So that means when you put your pants on, it's super stretchy to yeah. run your dApps in a decentralized modular cloud built for real world needs and configured for your requirements. Deploy with just a few line of lines of code, it says, and you can see the code and start building like you could just hop right in, right? That's right. Uh, just build something for Ethereum and two lines of code. It's running on scale. Boom. There it is. All right, Jack. Thanks for coming on today. We appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you. Sir Lord Travis, did you learn something? I did. And actually, I want to give a nice shout out to uh, Yinia, who uh, came out to Crypto Monday in Puerto Rico, saw my presentation on NFTs, said she was a great fan of the show. And it's always me. I go, wow, we have a great fan. I didn't realize we had, I didn't realize that we had like super fans. And so I guess we have one and her name is Jenia. Yeah. Didn't you, well, you met a bunch of people when you went to crypto Mondays and apparently there's a couple more fans here in uh, PR. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, you know what? went to one and, and there was a guy came up to me and he said, the Four. whole reason, the whole reason that I'm in Puerto Rico is is because of bad crypto podcast so i hadn't started listening to you guys i would have never gotten into crypto and i would have never invest in some of these projects early and they made enough cash money that they had to move to puerto rico for tax savings so and like, that's oh. awesome and i won't name names but i talked to a dude uh, this last week who said uh, because of listening to our show he got into alien worlds really early cashed out for four milli what yeah Made Dude, you know what? what I love about this man is like, I know in 2008, 2009, you know, I was meditating and I was like, one of my missions on this earth is to help create a thousand millionaires to help at least a thousand people become financially independent. And at that time, I thought it was going to be because I was going to start some business or start something that was going to help impact, uh, you know, a thousand people and help turn them into millionaires. I was like, I guess I got to make a billion because. If I'm making a billion, that would be a thousand million. And so then, so I got to probably make more than a billion so I can help. And I was thinking it was that, but you know, when the universe says, Hey, this is one of the, one of your missions, you don't necessarily know how it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I think through the vehicle of bad crypto and inspiring people who have been listening to the show for four years, I think when it's all said and done, we'll have created way more than a, mil a thousand millionaires, not, not because it's financial advice, but because, we talk about it and they do their own research and they go out and invest in projects they find suitable. And, and hopefully we create way more than a thousand millionaires when it's all said and done, Joel. We got a lot of smart people listening to us because we don't tell people what to do. So they like, they take the information and they go sift through it and do their own research. Like, I mean, if that's one piece of advice we give you, it's to go do your own research. And a lot of you do, in fact, you know, it's, it's super encouraging to us because, you know, having a successful show and making money, that's all fine and good, right? Everybody likes making money, but it's so rewarding when you hear from somebody, it's like that makes our day. And so if this show has helped you in some way, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe give us a call or email us at badcryptopodcasts at gmail.com. 
If you can make money in crypto, you could remember that email address and uh, or call us on the Bad Crypto Hotline. It's open 24-7 and we'll record your voice using all the modern technology at its disposal. The phone number 708-885-9030, Like I say, it's open all the time. You can call us. You won't wake us up because we don't yeah, actually yeah. pick up the phone. That's true. And you know what? It's like, I've never been money motivated ever. It's like money does. I don't care about money. But one of the reasons why is because it's fiat paper money. And I just have always, once I realized it was a scam, I just didn't really care about it. You know, they print as many as they want. It's backed by nothing. I, I love crypto because crypto is backed by math and it's backed by algorithms. And, you know, you know that there's a finite amount of Bitcoin, you know how a lot of these coins are working. But I tell you, one of the things that's so important, I think, is once you make you know, a significant amount of money, it's the impact that you can then have on others. You know, it's like you make a million dollars in crypto. Well, you can provide for your family. You can provide for your, you know, your parents. If you have some kids, you can help them get moving in the right direction. It's just what the power of what money allows you to impact others around you. I think that's the biggest thing about money. And uh, it's not the stuff you can buy because you get to a point where you're like, cool, I got enough stuff. What do I need? But making other people's day brighter and helping out other people along the way, I mean, that's where a lot of the true magic happens, Joel. You're absolutely right, my good friend. And I appreciate being on this journey with you, Travis, as well as all of you listeners. This is a journey that we started together a little over four years ago. In fact, uh, the first episode was Travis and Joel's Excellent Adventure as uh, we invited people down the rabbit hole. Here we are still going down the rabbit hole. You guys are along the ride with us. We're all in it together. And uh, we encourage you to also help others to learn about crypto and do their own research. Basically, do good stuff and stay back. Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.